How's it, everybody? Welcome back for another episode. You're here with me, Nick. Unfortunately, today, my dear buddy Ronald won't be joining us. He's off in Mozambique with his family, checking on the Yobo buck population density. He did try to tune in. Unfortunately, the internet was letting him down a little bit. Turns out they also have power outages there in Mozambique. However, I'm quite excited to announce that today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest. Austin from Bok Memes is here with me today. Very excited to have you on, Austin. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, man. It's an absolute honor and privilege. You guys have such a legendary podcast. I'm really honored. No, thanks, man. Well, before we head over on and focus on the Rugby World Cup, I'm proud to announce that this episode is brought to you in conjunction with Fantasy Go. If you want to get involved in the Rugby World Cup action, check out Fantasy Go, a South African-based fantasy sports platform. They're putting up over 100,000 rand in cash prizes during the World Cup in a host of fantasy contests. Put your rugby knowledge to the test and use your budget to pick your fantasy team of 15 players that you think will score the most points each round, and you could win thousands of rands. Tell your friends to get involved too. The more people that enter, the bigger the prize pools grow. Sign up on fantasygo.io today. Lacker, bud. I see you were up here in Joburg recently, hey, visiting the, the big city up this side. How was that? Oh, it was great, man. Yeah, I was at the Jersey Tens, and it was really amazing meeting the rugby people up there hanging out to them, doing some fan interviews and watching the rugby as well. So uh, people take their rugby very, very seriously up there. They do down here in the Cape as well, but I mean, it was, it was a very cool vibe up there. So I really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, I always wonder if you guys get the same sort of feeling how vastly different it is up here as we do when we get to Cape Town, because it really is like a whole different country down there. It's completely different culturally, just the hobbies that you get involved in. I feel like Joburg people are very friendly, very nice, at least the ones I met. It's amazing, yeah. And then if you go to somewhere like Durban or somewhere like Bloemfontein, then it's a whole different cultures. We're lucky to live in such a diverse country. No, absolutely. You're not wrong there, hey? But I think Ronnie and I are going to have to host you up here next year for one of the Bok games at Loftus or Ellis or Soweto, wherever it might be. I have to get you up here for one of those. Yeah, I'd love that, eh? One of my dreams is to watch a Springbok game at either Loftus or Ellis Park. So I really want to do that one day. We were speaking a bit off air about how we keep missing each other at games. So hopefully soon, one of these days, we'll, we'll link up at a game. Yeah, I'll get a Shark Storm as URC final next year, calling it now. You're a Shark supporter. Yeah, I'm a Sharks fan. Eh? You're a Stormers, okay, nice. right? Stormers, yeah, that's a good rivalry, Shark Stormers. Coastal <laughs> <No>, <laughs> Derby. Yes, that's it. So Austin, you know... Round one of the World Cup went by. One of the big talking points was obviously the anthems with the choirs going on. Ronnie and I had quite a bit of a rant about that. What did you think of the anthems in round one? And did they do better now in round two? I tell you, yeah, the, it was obviously, I think everyone was disappointed in, in the first round. I, I'm yet to meet, I'm yet to meet a person that actually enjoyed the anthems in the first rounds. I remember when I was watching the France game the other night, France Uruguay. When they played the normal anthem, I flipping got goosebumps. It was so amazing. And you could hear the crowd was like relieved that it was a normal anthem this time. It was so amazing listening to that French anthem in a packed stadium. So it's definitely much better. You know, it's sometimes better just to go with what you know and what works. And the anthems is such an important part of rugby. It's, I'd say the anthems play the biggest role in rugby out of any other sport. It's just such a strong cultural part of the games. You have to get those anthems right. I'm really relieved that it's fixed now and very excited to hear the rest of them going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my house, when the rugby's on, everyone knows there's no talking during the anthems. You need to listen, 
like you say, it's it's a huge thing before the game. Really get a feel for the team. And yeah, the French have stuffed up our anthem once or twice before. We can't forget Rusty Masani's rendition of it a few years back. It's but, one of my favorite moments of all time. <laughs> that was so Bob funny. Burgers played, say. With the with these anthems in the World Cup, they were almost like remixes. Yeah, the choirs were like throwing in remixes in the songs. It was weird. Like, suppose a nice initiative, but it's too big of a stage to experiment with something so different, something yeah, so drastic. It really, it really ruined the French anthem in the opening fixture. So, like you say, I find it quite telling when the packed stadium now singing the French anthem. That's what we wanted in game one. So it's great to see that they at least heard the complaints and changed from that. Yeah, I think they were kind of forced to because really ruined the mood of the game. Luckily, the rugby made up for it, but uh, it's a big relief. Yeah. Let's dive over then to the first game of the weekend or actually in the week was France playing Uruguay, a 27-12 victory for Les Bleus. Much lower scoreline than we expected. I mean, only one point difference than the score against the All Blacks. Yeah, I tell you, I, I think we're on the same Super Brew pool. Not doing too well. I've been getting quite a few of the, the predictions wrong, but that that's actually nice. It's been an unpredictable World Cup. It's been great. Uruguay can be very proud of the way they performed. You know, I remember watching the FIFA World Cup last year, and it's definitely got a different feel to it because there's a much stronger possibility in soccer that anyone can beat anyone. And it feels like rugby is slowly getting to that point. I mean, Uruguay coming so close to France in France is is a massive achievement for for Uruguay. So I was really proud of them. It's also been so nice seeing new teams coming into this World Cup, like Chile, Portugal, for the first time in a while. I think Uruguay can be so proud. And South America is a really good market that rugby needs to go into. It was a great game. And no, Uruguay really impressed. Yeah, I think it's definitely, like you say, super brutal. These margin points are going out the window left, right, and center. We pull out performances like that. Very, very well done from them. It surprised me quite drastically, particularly on their defense, because France is renowned for that attacking ability, and Uruguay managing to keep the score under 30 is quite impressive. Yeah, what did, what did you think of what that captain said after the game? Did you see what he said? I didn't see what he said, no. So Uruguay captain said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, because he walked into the press conference and it was very, very full. And he said, the first comment I'd like to make is how many people there are yeah, compared to when we announced the team before the game and there were only like two journalists here. So it's nice to see people actually showing an interest in us now. So I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, well, he made them stand up and take notice. Eh? That's how you do it. The teams also have to prove themselves. They have, to, they have to earn that kind of thing. And I think Uruguay earned it. So hopefully going forward in the rest of the tournament, they will, they will get a bit more attention. No, absolutely. And some of their fixtures remaining now really could be nice contests for them. You know, the result of mm-hmm. this game, do you think it's showing that France maybe lack a little bit of depth or is it full credit Uruguay they played outstandingly well? I think Uruguay is a different team to like the Springboks. So the Springboks, they have a very strong rotational team. Us as fans, myself included, sometimes complain about it, like during the rugby championship when they're chopping and changing the whole time. And it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot of pros and cons. But one of the pros is our second team is very strong. But with a team like France that don't rotate their team as much, they're a lot less comfortable when playing their second team. And I think that's what we saw in the Uruguay game. They are a lot less comfortable with their second team. And they do run the risk of losing, losing a game like that. 
big upset. Let's hope they don't pull a, a Springbok versus Japan in 2015. <laughs> we <laughs> we won't talk about that. But see, so yeah, I think I think they were were they're just a lot less comfortable, maybe a lot less synergy in the team in in their second team. Yeah, I think you've got a point there. They do tend to play their primary guys far more than their secondary team. Plus the injuries they've had make a couple of these additions, third third string players into that essentially second side that faced Uruguay. But also you yeah. look at this pool, you've got New Zealand and France. It was the opening game, massive game in the pool. But after that, the main competition is a team like Italy. Do these weaker games give an advantage to them going to the quarterfinals and that they might be a little bit fresher? Or is it a disadvantage because now they're going to enter the quarterfinals not as battle-hardened as, say, South Africa, Ireland, or Scotland, who have had a real tough time in the pool stages? That's a very good question. And it's actually, I, yeah, it's something really to ponder. I think if traditionally, it seems that traditionally teams that have been in difficult pools have done better. Thinking that off the top of my head, uh, it seems like that is the case. For example, I remember obviously in the last World Cup, having New Zealand in the pool, in our pool and losing to them, I think that actually helped us a lot in the long run, having difficult time in the pool stages. So I think I think to win a World Cup, you have to be able to beat everyone. So I think at the end of the day, it shouldn't make a massive difference. However, I actually prefer the fact that South Africa have a more difficult pool as opposed to New Zealand, France's pool. I actually prefer that we have Scotland and Ireland where we can really get into that playoff mentality sooner. So I would actually say I'd prefer that. What are your thoughts? I'm keen to hear. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with you. I prefer the more difficult pool because it gets you used to dealing with that pressure, which we know is going to be immense come the playoff stages. But I also must say I like how the Springboks games are. Scotland, tough, bit of a lighter game against Romania. Ireland, tough, a little bit lighter against Tonga into the playoffs. You know, So we've got a hard game. We can tweak a little bit, another hard game. I guess it's going to be mm. quite telling, though, when the quarterfinals come, if both teams from Pool B progress to the semis, then we know, okay, well, that's the better pool to have been in. No, that, that, that's a good point. Actually, it's nicely how, it's nice how the games are spaced. Uh, having sort of a, a bit of a rest against Romania, now we get to play Ireland with a full-strength team. That's going to be an amazing game. Again, at, at a World Cup, you need to convincingly be the best team in the world. So I don't think there should be excuses you know we had a difficult pool or whatever you you know the best team in the world should be able to handle it yeah you play what's in front of you ultimately but hopefully on that note they do need to do the pools better next time and i think we all know that it's been a big controversy which they are next time thankfully so so that's going to be good yeah talking about playing what's right in front of you we had the all blacks coming out with a resounding 71-3 victory over namibia Definitely a lopsided contest in that one. First thing I want to talk about, and it is something I raised with Max from the black jersey. We've seen the All Blacks do Kapo Pango numerous times this year. I did not expect them to bring it out against Namibia. Traditionally, it's a hucker reserved for who they feel are their biggest opponents, the big occasions. Do you think New Zealand really feel the pressure now, having gone down to France? Or what's going on in that All Blacks camp? I also noticed that, and I thought it was quite strange that they that they're doing that haka so much because traditionally it is safe uh, for sort of a moments of big respect, so to speak. On that, well, what did, what did Max say about 
why they're using it so much. So Max said that they're treating all the games equally this year, and that's why they're doing it. But he also said that's their problem. They're not differentiating between mm. games when they should be. And yeah, it's been a big surprise for me because I thought I'd misunderstood what that hacker was about. That's actually why I reached out to Max. But it seems like the All Blacks maybe are feeling a little bit of the pressure. Yeah, it's... Look, it's a tough one to understand for us culturally, obviously, because the haka is a very cultural thing. But if that is true about how New Zealand are seeing every game the same, then on the one hand, that's commendable that you show respect to Namibia. But on the other hand, probably isn't very accurate either, because although, yes, you want to respect your opponents, the reality of it is that you shouldn't go into a game against Namibia treating it as a game against the Springboks, you know, or a game against England, because you need that rotation and so yeah that's a, that's a very interesting point I, I hope at some point we'll get some word from the new zealand camp on what their thinking is behind that and i also wonder whose decision that is is it the captain's decision is sam kane making that decision even though he's injured maybe he, it's his captaincy style i don't know it's actually an interesting thing to ponder if any of our listeners are from new zealand and you have a little bit of information about how the huck is selected which one they'll do who the role players are there, please reach out. We'd, we'd definitely like to hear a little bit more about that. As Austin pointed out, it is a big cultural thing and it's not something we we really were acquainted with it, but not fully understanding the, the role of the Haka. Austin, the All Blacks game, there's now suddenly calls for DMAC to start over Richie Moonga. A little bit premature in my mind, considering it the strength of the opposition. And Richie Moonga is a talented, talented rugby player. Who do you prefer in that 10 jersey? A couple of years ago, or a while, I think Damien, Damien McKenzie was brilliant, but he's had issues along the way, injuries and stuff. So he's fallen a bit out of favor. But yeah, I would definitely still go through Chimuanga now. He's a very composed player. I think it would be premature to select McKenzie above him now. But New Zealand are, are in a bit of a tough spot there. They've lost a group stage game for the first time ever. They've got pressure in the group stages for the first time ever now because they have to win every other game which they probably will, but still, you know, it's a, it's new territory for them. So, you know, they're probably going to be less reluctant to, to test the waters a bit. So they're in a bit of a difficult situation. We go for Richimuanga. I still think New Zealand's very dangerous. Uh, before, before New Zealand's game against us, where we battered them, I actually was convinced New Zealand was going to win this World Cup. I felt like they were middle of last year. They were terrible, but towards the end of last year, they were starting to really pick up and they were starting to peak at the right point. They, they whipped us badly in New Zealand. I don't know. They've dipped again. It's a completely anti-New Zealand team. It's a New Zealand. They look a little bit lost. Aura that it's a New Zealand aura we're not used to. So it's weird. And I think we're going to see so many firsts in this World Cup. I think we might even see Ireland make it to a semi-final. <laughs> it's gonna be Possible. it's gonna be a, a World Cup of so many firsts. It's uh so to answer your question, I would go with Mwanga and I think New Zealand should still go with what they know and I wouldn't write them off yet. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. And you know, you pointed out New Zealand picked up their game last year. I think that Ellis Park test last year was the turning point for them. You know, they got a new coaching staff, particularly Jason Ryan, who worked on the forwards. You know, their their mall became a huge strength. But now we're seeing a number of injuries in their pack. You've got Lomax, who's ruled out. Now, Ethan de Groot, I see today, has been banned for two games for that red card he received against Namibia. You know, they, their stocks in the front row are depleted. They were without Guzla. He's now at least back. But that could also be playing a bit of a role in, in what's going on in their pack. They're not generating that front foot ball. And then their back line's looking mm. at pedestrian. 
on on that note that that's a very good point i'm glad you brought that up that's probably their biggest problem at the moment their pack i mean that's probably the biggest reason they they lost so badly to us the other week their pack just they couldn't keep up with us especially with so many forwards coming on in that game as well so <laughs> even once that's split. that's that's yeah so that's a problem for new zealand they, they I, th- I also think they need a couple of new guys in there as well so the likes of sam whitelock they're getting a bit older now i think they need some fresh faces no absolutely and i think also with fuzzy leaving they're not really looking towards the future otherwise you might have seen a bit more experimentation in that squad he's probably just stuck to who he feels comfortable with trying to close out his tenure on a bit of a positive note a good moment from this game, Absolutely. well, a bad moment that generated a good moment was Leroux Malan uh, breaking his leg. That was a horrendous, horrendous break. But it was quite nice to see the All Blacks team all signed a jersey and presented it to him. And they even went to the hospital to visit him after his operation. You know, that's really showing the spirit of the sport that we love and that we're all covering at the moment. I'm um, so great to see from the All Blacks and we hope Leroux recovers quickly. Absolutely. No, that that was very nice to see. And I even saw Anton Leonard Brown went and visited him in the hospital as well. So that's really nice to see. And that is the spirit of rugby. And we see that so often yeah. uh, amongst the players. That was really, really nice. And I hope you re- hope that player gets better soon. Shame that was a terrible, terrible moment. Yeah, that was horrendous. Let's jump over then quickly and briefly to Samoa's 43-10 win over Chile. You know, it was great to see Christian Leliofano make a return to the field after all that he's been through. 2019, he was the top point scorer for Australia. Now he's guiding the Samoans and he's got Lima Supuaga backing him up on the bench. So a great win for Samoa in that one. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's, I've, I've re- speaking about this, the Pacific Isle teams as a whole, they've been really fun to watch over the past year or so. I think that the new law which they brought in which which allow allows players to go back to that country of of origin to play for them is really really great. It's been a great addition to the sport. So I've really been enjoying watching Samoa, Fiji, and Tonga. They've all they've all been exciting to watch. Fiji, I think, is everyone's second team at the moment. Yeah, so it's great. I think they offer so much heart to the game of rugby. They have such small populations yet they produce so many rugby players worldwide we actually owe a lot to all those teams so massive respect to to Samoa and Tonga and Fiji as a whole absolutely so that first outing of the World Cup they got five tries securing the bonus point in their opening fixture which will be crucial for them if they do want to try and make it out of that pool which I'm sure they do but then over to another interesting game we had Wales 28 8 Portugal I thought Portugal's try from that line-out variation was pretty impressive I really enjoyed that one Oh yeah, that was that was very cool. Portugal definitely impressed. I mean, uh, Wales' biggest ever victory against Portugal was, I think, a hundred and something points, no, or a hundred and something points to a low score, and that was in nineteen ninety four. So it's so great to see how far Portugal's come since then, and just the tier two nations as a whole. So that was really great. And yeah, Portugal I also thought their defense was pretty impressive. That's what surprised me the most because. Generally, Wales is quite an attritional team playing a very similar style to the Springboks. And Portugal did very well to shut them down. I mean, look, they'd made 17 changes, but this is also a World Cup squad. It's not 17 depleted changes. It's 17 changes out of 33 you've selected for a World Cup campaign. So Portugal can be very, very proud of themselves. But I thought from Wales, 
you know, they did get that bonus point that they needed, which is crucial in that pool because it's a very big contest going on there at the moment. But Jack Morgan, Louis Rees Samet and Lee Halfpenny, probably the three that impressed me the most in that outing. Yeah, Jack Morgan's a real trooper. Uh, he's he's captaining the team along with Lake. So it's been interesting to see them take over the captaincy from the traditional captains like Dan Bigger and Ken Owens, I believe, who's injured yeah. as well. Th- that's been interesting. Wales have gone through a very difficult times. So I'm hoping to see Welsh rugby become strong again because they are a traditional power. So it would be nice. But it, it was an interesting game. And Portugal can be proud of themselves. Absolutely, they can. Then over to Ireland, the score was much bigger than I expected. Mm. 59 to 16 win over Tonga, with Sexton taking the record as the top point scorer, having stolen it from Ogara, who had 1,033 <laughs> points. <laughs> like I used the word stolen to show our animosity <laughs> towards Sexton. <laughs> you thought he was my favourite. Uh, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a, definitely a bigger margin than expected. And I think everyone needs to be nervous of Ireland because they're looking a lot more comfortable in a World Cup than than they usually. They they're looking Ireland are almost like even though they're number one ranked in the world, not a lot of attention is on them at the moment. They're kind of in the background, going along with things, doing everything perfectly. They're looking very well oiled. Um, I think no matter the result of the game coming up against South Africa, they as I said earlier, they have a very good chance of making it past the quarterfinal finally and. They were very, they were, they were very smooth against Tonga. They, they didn't look threatened at all. Yeah, it was interesting for me to see that a player like Tad Furlong, who is such a mainstay of that Irish pack, playing a full eighty minutes. You know, they thought I, th- I at least thought they would have conserved him a little bit for the box test, especially with the forward battle that awaits them. I mean, we saw the Springboks do that in their game, which we'll get onto. But eight tries to one, impressive from Ireland. They got the bonus point that they needed. You know, they're putting pressure on us because it could come down to score difference at the end of, or points difference, if you prefer, at the end of the competition. But I think the most interesting takeaway from me in this game, and it's something that could prove Ireland's undoing when we face them, was that they conceded 13 penalties in that game. And especially after half time, those penalties built consecutively. First yellow card for them of the whole year, though, and that's including the Six Nations, the warm up games in a year where cards have been dished out left, right and center. Mahani getting the card there but discipline is going to be crucial come Saturday I'm very glad you mentioned that yeah because that's a big thing I think that could be the turning point of the game the Springboks traditionally over the past couple of years we've been getting quite a few cards a lot more than Ireland so that's going to play a big role I mean if we lose the player even if it's to a yellow card at an important point it could cost us a game look to be honest I don't think France and New Zealand are both very difficult opponents. So I don't think it makes a massive difference who finishes first and second in this pool. Plus, we have a bit of experience of coming second in the pool and going on to win the World Cup. So maybe maybe it's all part of Rossi's plan secretly <laughs> to finish second on points difference. Not really, but... Checkers, eh? <laughs> yeah, so look, I, I'm not too worried about this upcoming game. I just really want to see the Springboks at fifth gear, I really want to see them play their best. I really hope I don't see stupid mistakes and like yeah, also play like the world champions. Yeah, and you say discipline is is a big thing for that game. Another thing is kicking accuracy, something I've been worried about for a long time. Money Lobok's a great player, but the kicking accuracy is a problem. Like every single World Cup South Africa has won, it's because of good well, not because of, but a big reason we won those World Cups, ninety five two thousand seven. 2019 is because of good kicking accuracy. So 
we really, really need that going into the playoffs. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, speaking of the Springboks, we got a big 76-0 win over Romania. I'm very glad that game was at three in the afternoon, otherwise work would have been horrendous today. But I thought Kwaka Smith should have got man of the match. He was a beast on the field, hitting players, counter-rucking. He was absolutely immense. What did you think of that one? Well, to be honest, it's actually, for me, difficult to pick one player that stood out because there were so many top players. Kubis Reinach getting a hat-trick, almost breaking his record. Makazola Mapipi was great getting a hat-trick. It was really, I can't think of a player that actually played bad. It was really a brilliant performance from everyone. At the same time, it's expected. I mean, we are the world champions. We are the Springboks. We need to put up a big score against Romania or respect to Romania, but we need to have that mentality of champions. And this, this, this was the least we should have expected as fans, I think. Absolutely. And also good that we managed to wipe out the Irish points difference there because they got a 74 point victory. So we plus two on that one. Obviously, they're better head on that because of the Tonga game, but we still have to play them. You know, four tries in 11 minutes. I actually saw it from ball carrier. You guys say there's fastest bonus point in World Cup history, which is hellishly impressive. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Four tries in 11 minutes. Fastest bonus try, bonus point try in World Cup history. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, Kubas Reinach now has the top two fastest hat tricks ever in World Cup. So we broke two records, which was great. Again, that just makes a statement. You know, it's stamped in authority uh, as the Springboks, as the champions. So we needed to put on a big score. Wouldn't have looked too great if we only put like 40 points on them. We needed, we could have gotten even more, but yeah. I was quite happy with 76. What did you think of Fuff coming on at 10? I thought he tied that back line quite nicely and he was really having a good time running the show <laughs> at fly off. Yeah, it was fun to see. I've never been a fan of not having a specialized 10. It was, as I say, it was fun to see, but I also hope we don't see it in the big games. No, I don't think it's a last resort. Yeah, yeah it's a last resort. So it's nice we've got Pollard and Lubbock there. So it was fun to see and fucked it well. I mean, that's, I actually didn't really expect him, them to do that. So it was very fun to see. No, absolutely. Well, four scrum halves in this game. I know, enjoyed the halftime joke. I don't know if you heard it, but two scrum holes that's what it makes <laughs> I had a good laugh at it. So, i was i was wondering what rusty and shark were planning with that makes sense now why they had two uh, scrum offs on the bench because fuff came on the tents it feels like they they they're playing a video game sometimes they, they're just experimenting with stuff and just having fun like it's actually good mind games because it's almost sending a message to other teams like we're so confident in what we're doing like we're gonna do some crazy stuff so absolutely I was like floating around on the socials you know this is really going to give Ireland a headache for their analysis because you've got a wing at scrum or scrum half at wing you've got another scrum half at fly half then you've got your previous week's fullback at 10 you've got a wing at center like it's really <laughs> giving the Irish techies a bit of a headache ahead of this weekend I love it and it's probably why I did it is they've always got some reason behind everything they do it's a lot of fun and it often back well not often there's quite a few times where it's backfired their plans but there's always a reason behind it and i like that i like that they, there's always a reason behind what they, they don't just go with it you know i also didn't see rassi and jacques using the light system this weekend which i found quite interesting so that could also be part of the mind games i wonder why i wonder if the first game it was just for show again to kind of 
cause a stir in the rugby world? I don't know, but you're actually right. I forgot about that. Spend some time analyzing something that's not necessary. <laughs> Unless World Rugby secretly didn't show that because they're trying to discourage it. I'm only kidding for you listeners. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I, I'm, I'm not one of the rugby conspiracy theorists, but it's always fun floating those theories around. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> then just the last little chat there. I mean, I think the box ticked all the boxes they wanted to. They got to test out a couple of combinations, players in different positions. But I think the most telling one was Dion Free getting a run at hooker and then Marku van Staden also throwing in and scrumming down. Did you think they both passed that test? Yeah, I think they did. Look, it's obviously a lot easier in a game against Romania. I don't know how they were doing a big game, but, you know, it's nice to test out those kind of combinations. And Dion Free has played at hooker before. Marco van, has Marco van Staden ever played at hooker? No, I tried to do some research and I can't find that he's ever played at hooker before. So interesting yeah. to say he's been practicing there since February's alignment camps. And he's actually listed in the World Cup squad as a hooker, which is quite surprising. But I, I mean, never knew that. Wow, well, so he, he looks like a hooker. So yeah, he, he fits the position. Yeah, that, that was cool. Um, I think it'll be very interesting after the World Cup what we're going to see because obviously some of the guys are getting older we're going to have to expect we're going to have to bring in new things so like i wonder if we will see someone like marco von starten become one of our our key hookers it'll be interesting it definitely will be interesting and you know whilst we saw them come through the lineouts pretty much unscathed i think the big question mark will always be over the physicality of the scrum i don't think romania gave us the kind of test that we can expect against ireland france you know the bigger nations so it'll be interesting to see, obviously, Dion is likely to come in at hooker this weekend off the bench, but Marco van Staden, I'm pretty sure that's the last experiment we're going to see it, of him at the two, unless emergency strikes during during the campaign. So speaking of that, losing Malcolm Marks is devastating. Absolutely. Did you guys speak about that on your previous podcast? No, probably he eh? wasn't ruled out by the time we spoke. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm very worried about that. So yeah, he's I'm, such a... He's a game changer type of player. He he literally can change the game. So I'm very concerned. Absolutely, me too. Yeah, all in all, I think it was a pretty good one from the Springboks. I think everyone's happy with that. You can't really complain too much with a 76-0 win. Also important, the box defense has not yet been breached at this World Cup, and that's something we mm-hmm. find ourselves on quite well. The only team that hasn't had a try conceded so far. Yeah, and let's hope it remains that way going forward. <laughs> Quite an yeah. impressive, impressive record to uphold. It's very nice, yeah. Over then, quickly to Wallabies 15-22 Fiji. Now, before we get into this game, we have a big following in Sevu Fiji. So to all of our listeners there, I just have to rat out Ronnie quickly because he did pick the Wallabies on Superbrew. I stuck faithful. I did pick <laughs> Fiji. Since Ronnie's not here to defend himself, I'm going to point that out. Very impressive, the Flying Fijians. First win for them in 69 years over the Wallabies. You know, this Fijian team is amazing. They lost their star fly half as the World Cup started, yet they've still managed to play such amazing rugby. So they can be really so, so proud of what they have done and continue to do. They were so close to beating Wales as well. Now they've beaten Australia. They really deserve a quarterfinal spot. I hope they get there. Mm-hmm. I felt it. In, the, in that game, they didn't really give Australia much of a shot. They, they Actually, I felt they dominated the whole game. They, they were very dangerous on attack. They defended very well as well. It was a very good performance. Australia looked quite uninspiring. 
Yeah, I've actually predicted Fiji to make it all the way to a semi, knocking out the English in a quarterfinal, which would, let's be honest, be pretty bloody great. But like you say, you know, Fiji, we've always known them for the attacking flair that their backs possess. But it's great to see them finally putting together a good set piece. You know, their lineouts are starting to shape up well. Their scrums are. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to their inclusion in Super Rugby, giving them a bit more exposure to... Uh, you know, the, what I thought was quite weird, unique and interesting was, I think the first 12 points they scored was only through penalties. I think I think the score was something like 12-8 or something. And Australia had scored the only try in the game at that point, which which is weird. Like, you, would, you wouldn't expect Fiji to have 12 points worth of kicks, you know. They really have developed their game, and it's really impressive. So nice to see. And as you said, yeah, maybe Super Rugby has has helped them to sort of develop wider game plan. Yeah, because like you say, I mean, I actually didn't even pick that up. So impressive from them that they're able to vary their game and rely on penalties when that's what's needed in a test, you know. And like you say, also Caleb Muntz being ruled out, overcoming that and still still getting their kicks over, still performing well like you said as well could have gotten a victory over wales and fiji playing very very well it's really really great to see but the aussies very bad discipline in this test they they really struggled on on that does that come down to a lack of leadership you know big will skelton he was someone they were relying on probably one of their most experienced players ruled out of this game you know six captains and seven tests this year difficult to get an understanding within the leadership group I feel like that never works well when you have a team that shifts its captains so many times. I mean, Wales as well. They've had so many different captains in recent years. They've also haven't performed well. Really makes a difference. And I was actually looking at the press conference that Eddie Jones made after the Australia-Fiji game, and he said he made the decision sort of to... He was quite humble, but he also said that he backs the decision bringing a young team to a World Cup. But I don't think it's ever wise to ever bring a very young team to a World Cup. You always need that that taste of experience. Like not having Michael Hooper, come on. Not having uh, Quade Cooper. I mean, those are the guys that would have made a difference in a game like that. And also would have made a difference now because Australia's fly-off is, I can't remember his name. Carter McDermott, Gordon. isn't it? Carter Gordon. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, there we go. So he he didn't have a great game. And, you know, someone like Quade Cooper really could have supported him well at the hotel, helped him to keep his head up. He could have told him, you know, this happens. I've been through this many times. You'll bounce back. But it feels like, as you say, the lack of leadership plays a big role. Yeah, and like you've pointed out there, you know, it's not necessarily just the on-field contributions of having senior players. It contributes on one hand to the team's aura, having a Michael Hooper there. And then it also helps the younger players with that experience. You know, someone like Quaid to talk to Carter and say, you know exactly what you said you know we can build on this this has happened to me before this is how we go about it and i get what eddie jones is saying it's something he said about marcus smith when he was picking him you know you need to pick the young guys you need to back them that's how they get experience but i think the inverse of that is also something you need to pay attention to because if you push someone like that too early and you break them their confidence goes they're never going to reach the potential that they could have under the guidance of a quade cooper and this is now selectively talking about the fly half position but you run a big risk when you sideline so many seniors that the juniors are going to flail and maybe not come back from that and then you've completely gone against the goal you set out for in the beginning totally agree it only works with very select few like guys like Franz Stein that worked with them you need that balance 
captains. You know, you can't be the sole fly-off in the team yeah. uh, as such a youngster, I don't, especially at a World Cup. It's insane. They should have had Craig Cooper there, 100%. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely, I think Eddie might be putting on the brave face for the media, but I think behind the scenes, he's got a couple of selection regrets at the moment. Yeah, yeah. probably. Look, uh, I, it's still, it, to me, it's nice seeing Eddie, it's, to me, it's nice to me seeing Eddie coaching the Wallabies, his home country. I, I do like it. And I do hope for his sake that Australia become a powerhouse again. And I think we should keep our eye on him. And Australia after this World Cup, they might surprise us. But at the moment, it's been very underwhelming. I really thought they would be a lot better by now. They've only won one game since Eddie's come in, and that was against Tonga. No, George, right? Georgia. Tonga. Georgia. Last Sorry, week. Georgia. Yes, Georgia. Getting my pools mixed up. <laughs> Georgia. They've only won one game against Georgia since Eddie came back. That's shocking, eh? Yeah. But I think England and Australia are both learning that a turnaround strategist doesn't always work. I think they relied on the precedent that Rossi set. And remember, he did it in two years, not just six months. So I think that that card was pushed a little too heavily on some of these teams. And they're learning... Yeah, it's, it's, failed, with, it's failed with Borthwick and Eddie Jones now. Yeah. It's failed with both of them. Still a lot more sorry for the Wallabies than I do for the English, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, sad seeing the state of Australian rugby at the moment. You know, we've got so much history with them. Tri-Nations days, but the sport is just struggled there with the rugby league and Aussie rules and I really hope the team the national team starts performing a lot better because we grow the game there so it's sad no it definitely is sad so it would be great to see the Wallabies perform a little better but they are on the cusp of being knocked out of the World Cup if they don't get a, a good few victories under their belt in their remaining two fixtures I don't think they've even I don't think they've ever been knocked out of a group stage Australia so it would be the first time yeah that would actually be very bad for Australian rugby, eh? Hey? No It'd doubt. Shocking. You know, we mentioned England there. England getting a 34-12 victory over Japan. You know, Ronnie and I have said a few times, Japan not looking like the side that they were in 2019. It seems like they've stagnated a little bit. I don't know what your feel is on the Japanese team at the moment. Yeah, look, Japan have been underwhelming for a while now. I mean, they, they, they lost to Fiji before the World Cup. Look, Fiji are a great side, but they're a lot, I feel like they're a lot better now in the World Cup than they were a couple of months ago. And yeah, Japan just, they're, they're not the side they were in 2019. 2019, they were really a force to be reckoned with. They, they beat Scotland, they beat Ireland. They really gave us a good run. But look, hopefully their rugby will rise again. I also think it's weird that Michael Leach isn't the captain for Japan. I don't understand that decision. No, me neither. Again, I don't have any idea why, because that's that's because I mean he's such a great leader. He, he led them in twenty fifteen and twenty nineteen. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why Rennie didn't back him to do it again now. But yeah, it really feels like they've maybe stuck with a couple of squad members a little bit too long, hoping to replicate the quarterfinal that they got to in twenty nineteen, and that doesn't always work out. You know, we saw it happen to the Springboks in twenty eleven. You do need to mm. change change the team somewhat, bring in fresh blood, bring in that hunger again to win. But England will be happy with that one. They're still under a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, Japan failing to take their chances in that game. Matsushima having a couple of good runs, but not getting over the line. Do we know anything more about this English side after this game or still pretty much what we've seen from them under Baltwick so far? I think it's interesting to see how much of a strong kicking game England's going for. And it's funny how everyone was complaining that the Springboks were doing that at the last World Cup. Yeah. And now England are doing that at this World Cup. So I think that's quite interesting. But look, overall, I think England are a bit directionless. 
at the moment. They feel a bit like a headless chicken at the moment. No offense to England fans, but just feels like they don't have great direction at the moment. So I don't think we learned a lot more from that game. And Japan were actually quite close at the time, eh? Yeah. Uh, it was only towards the end that England ran away with it. And so I don't think England should be too impressed with that win. So, you know, they've been backing George Ford. A lot of people calling for Marcus Smith. What do you make of an Owen Farrell return amongst this now? Because Ford hasn't been doing badly in that white jersey. Well, go, yeah. So on George Ford, he's been doing very well for England. So I think he should be above Marcus Smith. Marcus Smith has had quite a few opportunities in the past couple of months and he hasn't really been great for England. He hasn't made much of an impact. I think George Ford has earned it more. He should stay there for now. Owen Farrell coming in. Owen Farrell, he's got, he gets a lot of hate online, but he's a great player. He yeah. needs some, he needs to improve his tackling technique. I think we all know that. <laughs> besides that, besides that, that post grad, master's degree. Yeah. It, <laughs> and you know, someone like Owen Farrell would actually fit in really well with the Springbok game plan if he was a, if he was a South African, you know. Yeah. As I say, as long as he improved his tackling, he would actually be a pretty good flower for South Africa. But anyway, that's a whole different topic. So, I think, yeah, Owen Farrell, when he comes back, he should go back in at 10. He's, he's a good leader for the team. He's a, he's a warrior for them. So, but I wouldn't go back to the George Ford and Owen Farrell combination, which was obviously George Ford at 10 and Owen Farrell at 12. So it worked well last World Cup, but you know, they've got good centers at the moment. They've got money to Luggy and they've got Holly Lawrence. Yeah. To answer your question, I would, I would bring in Owen Farrell. What do you think you would do? Yeah, I also think, you know, Marcus Smith was someone being groomed under Eddie Jones for a specific way Eddie wanted to play. I don't think Marcus Smith really fits into the Borthwick style of play. He's very conservative, very forward-based, you know, kicking game. And that tends to favor the guys like Owen Farrell, the George Ford. What I don't want to see is Owen being put back at 12. I think everyone knows that something mm. doesn't really work. And starting Owen, probably benching Ford is the way that they're going to go with it, I think. On that note, you know how many people are calling for Andre Pollard to play at center? I really no. don't understand that decision. Don't understand that decision. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. I agree with you. And we'll definitely get onto the Andre topic because him playing at center is something I think you and I are both going to have pretty strong opinions on. Yeah. I'm yep. tending to get the sense you also prefer specialists in specialist positions. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that just now. Just quickly on the Super Brew topics. Our superest of brews for this week is Louis LaRue. Louis is the top of the punted pool. There's 3,100 of you guys playing in that pool, so it's really great to have you all. Just to let you know, I am 250th in the pool. Ronnie is 2,917th, guys. So 2,916 of you beating him. It brings me great joy. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> and Ronnie is, I think, second last in our creators' pool, so that's also brilliant. Yeah, my... my had a good run of super brew this time so i don't think i'll be too high up there <laughs> yeah these margin points like i said they're catching everybody out awesome should we then just take a look at the fixtures coming up this week you know we've got the first mm -hmm. game is on wednesday it's going to be a big one and a very interesting one in light of the, this past weekend's results we have italy taking on uruguay can uruguay get an upset in this one? Oh, that's actually going to be a really good game eh but Unfortunately, generally with history in rugby, in rugby, you don't often see that tier two nation that has a spark. Often they don't repeat it a week later, which is so frustrating. So you'll see a team like come so close 
to be to historic win and then the next week they're like really bad so i have a feeling that's going to happen and italy will win quite comfortably but i hope uruguay will continue with that form and if they do i think it'll be maybe a seven point game yeah it would be great to see uruguay put on a big performance in that one italy definitely not the, the team that they used to be much better now much better attacking prowess Andrzej Kapuza at fullback is is really great for them. Those sides have been named, so that's going to be a killer clash. That's on Wednesday. Um, Luckily, after work, 5.45 kickoff. Thursday, we have France-Namibia. This is a big game for Namibia, a big game for France. France will be looking to rack up a bigger score than the All Blacks did, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. Look, there's not much in that game, assuming they'll play that second team again, very similar second team. Although they'll probably bring one or two guys back in, so they... Get some game time. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Dupont plays that game. Oh, just so no, uh, no, resting Villiers and and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to. You don't wanna have your star players out for too long. You know. It's, yeah. Springboks have done that a couple of times and it's backfired. So, yeah, uh, yeah. There's not too much in that game. Let's hope for France. They don't get more injuries. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Then Friday, Argentina getting their second game of the World Cup. They're playing Samoa. Argentina taking a loss in round one and Samoa getting their first win this past weekend. What are you predicting out of that one? I think everyone was so disappointed, by the way, Argentina played in the first round. What the heck happened against England, no. eh? I think that, that was, was the worst we'll ever see Argentina play. It was horrible. So they, I think they'll be hungry to play well. I'll be back in Argentina for that one. I think they will be hungry and they'll win. Yeah, I think that Argentina backlash is definitely coming out of that one. And I think they've got a point to prove. After, mm. after going down to England. Then Saturday, another action-packed day of rugby. Kicking off at 2pm, we have Georgia versus Portugal. Yeah, that will also be a nice one to see. Yeah? You would expect Georgia to win that one. But again, will Portugal be able to have a back-to-back solid performance? We'll have to see. But I would back Georgia for that one. I would back Georgia for it as well. But I'd like to see a less than seven-point difference in this game. I think that would be quite lack of Portugal too. To really hold Georgia in this contest, that would show some some great ground made, being made up by the Portuguese. Then mm. England versus Chile. What are we making out of that one? What are you thinking for that one? Yeah, again, not too much in that game. Uh, maybe England will experiment a bit. Maybe they'll start Marcus at 10. I don't think Farrell will, will be back. Eh? Farrell's back. Quite no, I think he's only back for the following fixture. So his ban will end this Saturday. Yeah, so they'll probably bring in Marcus Smith for a go at 10. They'll be, he'll probably tear it up quite well against Chile. Yeah, um, I'll probably see Billy Vinopola getting a start as well. Some changes in the front mm-hmm. row, probably Dan Cole coming back in. But yeah, I think pretty much definite England English win coming in this one. And then we can be very grateful that Monday is a public holiday and we're getting a bit of a long weekend here because South Africa versus Ireland, probably one of the biggest games next to France versus New Zealand in this World Cup. That kicks off at 9 p.m. on Saturday. I'm not going to ask you for your prediction on this one just yet because we're going to chat about this game a bit further. But okay, huge, huge fixture for us, eh? Big one, big one. Look, as I say, I'm not too worried about which way it goes because France and New Zealand will... Both of them are difficult opponents, but it's going to be an entertaining game. I'm very excited. Well, actually, maybe since we are on it, I should ask you for your prediction on this one. Are the Bucs going to take it? Or do you think Irish have a bit too much firepower for us? Do you think... I have a, I, look, <laughs> I don't want to say I have a feeling because often my feeling is wrong. But I, do, I would back South Africa for this one. I feel that South Africa will be quite angry about their loss to Ireland last year, which they could have won. 
think they're going to be coming into this with a big, big plan. They, I don't think they'll want to lose to the Irish again. It will be three times in a row if they lose now to Ireland. I'm going to back South Africa. I think Ireland also obviously give up, give an incredible fight. It's going to, I think it's going to be like a two-point game, two-point yeah. difference. It's going to be very close. Discipline is going to play a part, kicking, but I would back us for it. Yeah, I think our, our bomb squad is going to be the difference in this game, and I do agree with you. It's going to be a two-pointer. It's going to be very, very tight. But I do hope for an incredible game on Saturday, and I think we are all going to be treated to that. It's going to be massively intense. Then we go over to Sunday. Only two games on for this Sunday. So first up, we have yeah. Scotland facing Tonga. Also an interesting game. Scotland suffering a loss in their opening fixture to us. Had a bye weekend, and now they're fresh and ready to face the Tongans. Yeah, that will be an interesting one. I'd probably back Scotland to win. Scotland are a solid side there. They probably under, underperformed a bit against us. I think they would have liked to have played better, but it'll be an interesting one. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Tonga, Tonga take the win, but I am still going to back Scotland. Yeah, I mean, it really is do or die for the Scots in this one because they will definitely still be harboring hopes of making it out the pool, however difficult that might be. And they'll know that in order to do that, they need to rack up some pretty decent scores against Tonga, against Romania. And then they have to try and upset the Irish to get out of the pool. Big ask, but yeah. I mean, no team comes into the World Cup and admits defeat after round one. So it'll be interesting to see what Scotland dish up. I think Scotland's best shot was against us in the opening game. I think yeah. that was their best shot, making it out. It didn't go their way. I agree with you on that one, hey? And then another very interesting clash for this weekend, and a pool-defining one, probably, is Wales versus Australia. The Wallabies lose this one. Their World Cup is pretty much over. It's going to be, that's going to be a very interesting game. Can't wait for that one. It's do or die for Australia, hey? I don't know who to call on that one. I think I'll say Australia, maybe because they will be a bit more desperate, but could also backfire. It does kind of feel like Eddie is just heading towards disaster. So what's your prediction? I would generally agree with you, Australia, with a bit of a backlash, but we spoke about how they don't have those experienced players. They don't have anyone to pull them together to say, boys, we've been here, we've come back from this, let's get on with it, let's beat Wales. Whereas Wales, yes, they are a young side, but Warren Gatland isn't that unfamiliar to them in that environment. You know, they do still have some senior players in there, like a bigger with more than 100 test caps. And I think Wales have a bit of momentum, two wins to their name. Wallabies only one win under Eddie so far. I think Wales are going to take it by, by three to six points. That's going to be my call. Well, a quick point I want to add on Wales is a lot of people in the Wales and Fiji game, they were saying that obviously Fiji deserved it and everything, but Wales actually played well that game. They, they actually dominated most of the game. Fiji made quite a big comeback towards the end. Yeah. It was close, but Wales actually played some pretty good rugby compared to previous previous games over the past two years for Wales. So they, they're actually improving a bit. Yeah, no, well, it'll be interesting to see what, what gets dished up, but it's definitely a pool-defining clash for sure. Should we quickly just have a chat? You know, we mentioned it earlier in the part about Malcolm Mark suffering an injury. That's a massive, massive blow. It was an injury on the training ground. Then we saw now Vincent Koch pulled out of the match day 23 ahead of the game against Romania. Also a training ground injury. Are the guys just going balls to the walls at training or what's going on there? <laughs> It feels like there's some weird luck over all the teams this World Cup. There's been so many injuries. I mean, that uh, Scottish uh, hooker fell down the stairs. Now he's ruled out. I mean, what is going on? Look, uh, 
think it's just bad luck. We were lucky going into this World Cup that we actually didn't have any major injuries. Yes, Lewitt, Andre, and um, Lucanio Am are also out, but they're actually better now. They're just waiting to come back into the yeah. squad. So we, we're lucky in that sense. But Malcolm is a big, big loss. Very worried about that. I'm interested to see how Andre is going to do packing down a hooker, eh? As his yeah. replacement. <laughs> so those big shoulders, eh? He's ready for it. Yeah. yeah, that's going to be an inter- interesting combination. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, speaking of Andre Pollard, I think there's a lot that we can talk about on this one. So let me start it off. Do you think it's the right call bringing Andre in? Absolutely. Abs- we need, I've been saying this for a year, we really need Andre Pollard. And before Andre was injured, I was saying like, he's, he's our biggest key player. If we lose him, we're in trouble. However, since then, thankfully, they've brought in Money Lobok into the squad, so he's more comfortable now. However, I really did want them to bring in Money Lobok a lot earlier. I felt they brought him into the Springbok system a bit late, so he's not that experienced. He's only got about 11 caps as no, a starting 10. I'm a little bit too long. Damien Willemser, they kept trying him at 10, and Damien Willemser's a great player, but I don't think he's a solution at 10. So, look... I really think we need Andre Pollard. I wouldn't start him straight away. He hasn't played international rugby in a long time. And to be fair, last time he played international rugby, he wasn't kicking well. So I would ease him in. I hope to see him on the bench this Saturday. I would love to see him come on in the second half. Otherwise, I hope he starts against Tonga. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. And Rassi actually did a press conference just before we recorded where he said, you know, Pollard's not in the selection frame for this weekend. We've heard Mm -hmm. this said before and he could still surprise us. You never know with Rassi. But, you know, if you're going to now rely on Andre Pollard in the playoff stages of the competition, you need to give him game time. You pointed out he last played international rugby in the rugby championship last year. He's been injured now since the end of April. He played 31 minutes for Tigers this past weekend. He got a yellow card, kicked one, missed one. You know, it's difficult to actually judge where he is. So I think a lot of the hype comes down to the Andre Pollard we knew. We don't really know where he is currently as a player in terms of match fitness, form and all of that. So it's risky to take him to a quarterfinal if he doesn't get a good performance in. So you would like to see then some game time against Ireland. If not, he needs a full game against Tonga next week. And then there's a, we've actually got quite a decent bit of time off before the quarterfinals, which he can still integrate into the team then. But if it doesn't work, and if something happens to Pollard, you run the risk of shattering Marnie's confidence now. That's a good point. Well, look, Going back a step on Andre Pollard, yeah, you're right. We don't know where he is currently. What do you actually do? Ideally, we needed him back five games ago. But look, with Manny Lubbock, look, at the same I understand like maybe shattering his confidence, but at the same time, he has been backed for a good couple of games now. The coaches have shown him they do back him. And I think hopefully he will just realize that Andre Pollard is he's a veteran. He's one of the greatest tens we've ever had. So I hope he doesn't take it to heart. But that is a good point, you know. Player psychology plays a big role. It could be the greatest decision that the Bach management have made, but it could also go the other way. I think you have to back Andre's class. We know he's a class player. We know what he's done. He, I mean, when he came back for Leicester earlier this year, he was phenomenal. So let's just hope he can replicate that. I do doubt that we will see him this week. I don't know if he trained today. And I mean, the Bucs have a very strict policy that if you don't train on Monday, you don't play on Saturday or Sunday. And it'll be yeah. interesting to see to see when the team sheet comes out tomorrow, whether or not his name is there. Pollard then also adds a lot to the leadership group. 
which is something lacking mm-hmm. in the backline since Lukanya Am has gone. You know, he was our defensive captain, a lot of very strong defensive fly half. So I would like to see him, and I do believe it's the right call calling him back. I'm just a little apprehensive in terms of what it could do to Mani. Should we need to rely on Mani later on in the tournament again? Yeah, you make a good point. Um, I think I would, if it was up to me, I would still make that risk because love Mani Lobok, but he hasn't proven himself yet as as a kicker we can rely on. And thinking back to the 2019 World Cup, if it wasn't for crucial kicks by Pollard, we wouldn't have won the World Cup. So, I mean, imagine playing France in the quarterfinal. That's going to be a close game. If we don't get those crucial kicks, we're probably going to lose. Especially with him looking at Thomas Ramos with his lethal boot against us, you know. Oof. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate for them losing Demac as well. So yeah. no. Anyway, I mean, all we can do is uh, hope they make the right decision, and I mean, we'll all be crossing our fingers that, that it goes well for us. But on some positive news, at least we've seen Urban Etzebeth has been cleared to play this weekend. That's a massive boost to the Springboks. He's a vital cog in that engine room for us. So it'll be great to see him there. Just a little bit of a debate I'd like to hear your input on. Who are you starting this weekend against Ireland? Andre Esterhazen or Damien Diodende? That's a very good question. I think if you're going to be basing it on form, Esterhazen has this year been in better form. So I think maybe he should start. I'm still a massive DLND fan. I love the way DLND plays. The way he gets go-forward ball. Traditionally, he is probably the guy to go for. But I'd probably say... Estazen has earned his spot at 12. So I would say let's give him a go. Yeah, big Andre there. I also back big Andre to get a start again. I think he proved it against the All Blacks. Romania, he played very well. Hard to judge a performance there, but he's in form, like you say, and I'm all for selecting form. So it would be great to see him get that opportunity in a big game like this. Mm. And especially against someone likely to be Bundi Aki in 12 for Ireland. Yeah, we, we need we need to try and bruise and bat Ireland as much as possible because the last time two sides played, Ireland matched us very well physically. Yeah. Very, very well. They they actually at times dom- were dominating us physically in scrum time. And so we really, really need to make sure we are more physical on the day. I would like to see Estes in there. Absolutely. Austin, thank you so much for joining us on the pod, bud. I really appreciate you coming on here. For all of our followers, guys, you can check him out on Instagram, on Facebook, under Bok Memes. Follow his page. Check him out, guys. Give him a shout out. Thank you so much for being here, bud. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you, man. It's been awesome. I really appreciate you having me. And let's cross our fingers for the weekend. And... Thanks, everyone, for listening as well. It's been awesome jumping on. And that's a wrap, guys. And girls, if you enjoyed this episode and didn't mind our terrible puns, please do us a solid and smash that like button. Remember, subscribing to our podcast may not make you a better rugby player, but it will make you more knowledgeable around the bry while screaming at the TV. We might not have the biceps of a prop or the speed of a winger, but we've got enough rugby banter to keep you entertained for the entire season. Grab it all. Light the bry, and we'll catch you back here next Wednesday. Thank you.